Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. And we're back. I love Again, I love saying, and we're back with another episode. I'm Chris, and here is the main man who knows everything there is to know about baseball. But James, you actually, right as we got onto our Zoom call with each other, you just told me something that's super, super funny to me. It's super, super funny. And I just keep going, well, maybe this is the karmic payback of the universe and stuff like that. So for what's hot this week, what's what's the news that's going on? James, just take it off from there. So here's where it's interesting. Like, Chris, you're, you're absolutely right. Like karmic, karmic payback. Like this is just the energies of the universe converging. Allegedly, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> allegedly, no, allegedly, the, the energies of the universe converging to just like say, Astros, you guys suck. You, you know, like basically, right? So, like, it's been at the end year, for the past few episodes. So now this time it's the beginning. Yes, we're just yes. getting it straight out the way. Get it out of the way, you know. Uh, so. We, we, we know they cheated in, in 2017 and, and at least part of 2018. And from lots of evidence, it's pretty clear that there was cheating in 2019 as well. Um, so entering 2020, I wanted to see what was the numbers, what was going to happen to the numbers, right? Because um, honestly, and this is where it gets interesting, in looking at what happened with the Astros, we did a whole episode on this. Mm-hmm. It looks like at a portion of 2018, it, they were getting reported a lot. So they had to change their cheating. So it went from banging on the trash can to audible whistles, as was reported per John Boy Media. They are great. Check them out. Um, so when you hear these whistles, they do two whistles, curveball, one whistle, fastball. You, you get the idea. And it just here, it sounds like, you know, from the crowd. But then when you replay all of their hits, and what pitch is coming, and you sync it with what kind of whistles are happening over and over again, it checks out. Mm-hmm. So going from 2019 to 2020 last season, like I knew there was going to be a drop in performance, and we went across the roster and basically everybody from that club, like specifically the ones that also were on 2017, they had a massive drop in performance, specifically in the second half, but you know, really all season for quite a few of them. Well, at the end of the season, you know, we found out that Verlander was undergoing Tommy John, that he was going to miss all of the 2021 season. That's a big bite. You know, he's one of the better pitchers in the game. Uh, You know, whether or not you want to add on the fact that the Astros probably use some sort of substance to increase spin rate. But either way, even without that, he's one of the better pitchers in the game. So that's a bite out of your team. And this is a team that was already losing a lot on offense because they they didn't know what pitches were coming. So now they're losing on pitching. Um, So offense getting dinged, pitching getting dinged. And now this week, Forrest Whitley, their top starting pitching prospect, hurt. And Framber Valdez, Francisco Lindor hits a liner that bounces and hits him in the finger, fracturing it. And now what we're hearing is that it's going to take surgery that will keep him out the rest of the season. Valdez and Verlander are two aces on that club. They're two of the better pitchers in baseball. And that's a massive blow. I mean, pitchers like that, they get 30 starts a season. Valdez actually was the league leader in innings, I believe, last season. So he was expected to be, you know, an innings ace, an innings eating ace for them. And Verlander was supposed to be that as well. McCullers keeps getting worse with the home run rate on the year-to-year basis. And his ERA never aligns with his, you know, ex-FIP and his FIP. So he may be closer to like a 3-4, maybe more of a 3 in my opinion. I like him a little bit better than that. But he is allowing more and more home runs every single season. And the ERA doesn't align with the rest of his numbers. Now, they, they just got Odorizzi. The Astros just signed Odorizzi. But he's like a, a back-end three, probable four. So right now, if you're looking at the Astros rotation, with Valdez out for the year, with Whitley missing time, with Ver- Verlander out for the season, they have Grinky, the ace, 
And then it's just like a bunch of number four starters. Like McCullers is probably the best of them. And he'll probably put up an ERA of about like 3.7, 3.8. And if you're looking at the new guy, Odorizzi, you're looking at similar range, about a 3.7, 3.8, 3.9ERA in the best case scenario. Uh, the rest of their their rotation is guys like Christian Javier, Josh James, uh, you know, just not a Jose Urquidy, nothing really that that's the top end guy right there. So it's gonna be grinky and then the rest of it. And I think that now all of a sudden we can start looking at the angels as like a serious division winning potential team. So yeah, Astros get some, that's what's up. You guys are awful. This is what you deserve. So um, then again, I don't like it when any humans get hurt, but if they're an Astro, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Still though, I am laughing and I'm doing a little bit of a, a victory dance and I am, enjoying your misery astros i'm just i'm really just it's delicious oh it's okay it's so nice oh i just i'm sorry i I love it so anyway before i get too caught up in that and start like tearing up uh let's move on to uh our subject of the day um so i think we're going to start off in the american league this time you know we, we do our divisional breakdowns and That's what we're doing today. So we're not running through a bunch of players like we did, you know, a week or so ago. Um, It's going to be a little bit more me explaining uh, why in the American League Central, I have this team in third place. Now, um, if you want to see, obviously, our our, our last picks for fourth place in the American League and National League, check out the last video um, that we did on our divisional breakdowns. in the American League this year, it's I don't like picking this team for third place because I do really enjoy what kind of balance that they have going on on their roster. Like, they have a lot of guys who can hit lefties, get a lot of guys who can hit righties, and they balance each other out. They got good defense. They got good base running. Um, they piece together their outfield on a year-to-year basis. I don't really love it, but it works for them. And in the middle of their order, they have one lefty, one righty, and one switch hitter. So I like how balanced they are. I like how their farm system looks. They develop pitching like few other teams out there, but I cannot put them any higher this year after losing Francisco Lindor um, and Carlos Carrasco. I can't put the Indians any higher than third place in the American league central, there are two juggernaut teams ahead of them, which you, you can tell at this point, but which ones I'm talking about. Um, but the Indians know they have a very legitimately well-rounded team. And I like the way they put together their team. It's kind of reminiscent a little bit, a little bit of the way the Kansas city Royals put together their team a few years ago when they were contending. Um, it's a lot of defense, a lot of base running, A lot of balance in the lineup to get all the pieces to work together when you need them to work. Um, A lot of guys kind of coming up from their system. A lot of of talent down there. Um, Honestly, when the Royals were at this point, I don't think they had as good of a farm system as the Indians currently do. And I am a huge proponent of the Indians farm system. The only thing is I'm not a huge proponent of their players that are above high a or at least who have been above high a i mean they might be have a couple guys joining double a this year you know but i i don't i don't like you know they some of their guys that are considered more esteemed prospects um not that they're terrible players i'm just i'm not really a three true outcomes fan nolan jones bobby bradley um i like guys to have like a little bit more uh, power to go along with their contact. Um, they have a couple of contact guys up at the top levels of their minors. Um, just they have guys at the top levels of the minors who are good if they have a certain role for them, but not superstars. However, in high A and A ball, 
they're loaded with guys who have the potential to be superstars and they have one of the best systems for that kind of thing positionally, as well as Daniel Espino coming up on the pitching side and uh, Tristan McKenzie, who hopefully will fill in a little bit more this year and actually be able to pitch close to a full year. I'm hoping he can because Tristan McKenzie quite literally is one of the most talented arms that I've ever seen pitch. Like he could win Cy Young's if he can find a way to stay healthy for a full season. Um, and then you also got Shane Bieber, one of the best arms in the sport. You got uh, um, Plesak, you got uh, I mean, you, Cavalli. I mean, it's you guys as, as an organization, the Indians develop pitching like, like nobody else's business. Um, they take guys who are average arms and they get them to be above average. They take guys that are two starters and they get them to be one starters. They, they, they make some of the best number one starters out there. Carrasco, Clevenger, Kluber, et cetera, et cetera. Bieber, you know. Um, so they're fantastic with making pitching. My only thing is, is that they've dealt Carrasco. And McKenzie needs to grow into himself. Like he was promoted basically from double A. Um, and then Espino, he's a few years away, maybe a year and a half away at, at shortest. So they're going into this year with like Bieber, who's great, a three starter, a four starter, and potentially like, yes, a, a decent five starter for, for the fifth role, but potentially a guy who's either going to get hurt for you in McKenzie or he'll be an ace. So it, it's, it's a good rotation. Um, but when you've lost Lindor and the teams ahead of you are gaining as much as they are. And in some cases finished, I think in both cases finished ahead of you last year. Um, this is very much a transitionary period and I don't hate on the Lindor trade. I think Isaiah green is incredibly underrated. Um, I think that Ahmed Rosario if he can figure out how to hit anywhere close to league average versus righties, you're looking at a very capable long-term shortstop there. And if he can't, you platoon him with the other guy that you got in the deal in Jimenez when Jimenez is big league ready. I've been able to watch Jimenez basically every Arizona fall league because uh, they keep sending him out here year after year. And he becomes a little bit more physical each year. So hopefully that continues at the big league level. He needs to put on more muscle. He has, you know, good swing. He's got good contact ability, good defense. But um, either way, that's kind of going to provide a stopgap for some of the guys who are more superstar level talents down at the low levels of the minors of the Indians. I think if we're looking at what the Indians can turn into once everybody's up and, you know, these pitchers, you know, are, are a little bit more developed, especially McKenzie uh, and Espino, uh, I think they can once again be the top in the division, but it's going to take development years. It's going to take a, a little bit. Um, and the Indians, you know, they are one of, like, I, I think I read today that they're one of only five teams in Major League Baseball, like over the last, I think, five years to have above 500 record each year. So I, I don't even see them moving forward having, you know, any seasons where they dip below 500. Um I think that this is a very capable team. And even though we're talking about a third place team here, this is a team that's going to be able to recover and, and, and move back up, as, you know, fairly quickly and to an elite level. Um, it's just, this is a transitionary period. There will be a lot of growth. There will be a lot of figuring out who guys are, which guys we want to move forward with when we're really opening that contention window again. And how during this period of time, if we do get to the playoffs, we can make moves to, to stay in it late. And that's the part that I really like about the Indians and why I don't like putting them here because they do have a really balanced team. They do have a lineup that works in terms of righties, lefties, you know, they do have great defense. They, they do have really good base running. They do have a pitching staff. They do have a good bullpen. Like Kareem Chak's one of the uh, best new relievers in the show. He strikes everyone out. And Classe is going to be coming back from injury next year. He throws hundred miles an hour. He's nasty. Um, they traded for him. They made sure to bring him in from the Rangers. Um, so this is a team where they have a lot of guys who are very good that they're going to have under contract for a very long period of time. And they have guys that are developing in, the, in their farm system too. And should things go wrong with teams ahead of them and they find a way to get to a bigger series, three games, five games, whatever it ends up being. Um, 
this is a team that could make a deep playoff run. They have all the things that you need to succeed in those types of situations. Um, however, certain types of approaches, you know, pro- approaches that allow you to work the count to get to more hittable pitches are more effective during the regular season than others because you face lots of different types of caliber pitching during the regular season. You only face the elites of the elite in the playoffs or guys who are at the top of their game and trying to give their A performances. You're not really going to get a ton of mistake pitches in the strike zone um, versus the best arms in the game. So this is part of the reason why, you know, at the end of Moneyball, they're like, well, they didn't win in the playoffs. And they still have it. The Moneyball teams still have not won a World Series. Um, And this is because of this same exact thing. They can figure out what they need to do, how many runs they need to prevent, how many runs they need to score, how, how much they need to walk to do it, how many, you know, home runs they need to hit to guarantee that they'll be over a certain amount of runs scored. And they do this and they'll win and they'll, you know, get to the playoffs. But then they'll go in against, you know, Grinky or they'll go in against, you know, uh, Bieber or they'll go in against Dallas Keuchel or whoever it may be. And they'll have the floor wiped with them. Like it'll be it'll be a non-contest. And I saw it in person as a Yankee fan, like during the, the 2005 to 2008 era where it was just offense all of those years no defense, like basically one reliever um, and like two starters, maybe Um, that's not enough to get by. We would win a hundred games during the regular season, 97 to 105. Um, But we'd be eliminated like first round in the playoffs, uh, like every year consistently. Uh, Because if you just have a team that is just, you know, waiting for the pitcher to make a mistake, whether it be throw out of the strike zone, work a walk, or throw something straight down the middle that they can crush. The best pitchers are not really going to do that. And they'll get you, you know, that's why being aggressive and using the whole zone and and being able to hit different breaking pitches and, you know, just having those types of things going for you while, you know, the guys who are on base can take multiple bases, turn your singles into run scoring opportunities. Um, I think that we're kind of looking at the game backwards. We're looking at it from results rather than from process. And because we don't understand how that process feeds results in certain contexts, and because sample size is such a a real thing that people look at in a result-based context, that we are almost blind to what succeeds versus higher levels of pitching. That's like at the core of what I do with Sabre Scouts, figuring out the guys who are most effective during those types of pitching. And then also guys who can balance those guys out so that when they face those types of pitching, they're even more effective or guys who, when, you know, those guys are on base and, you know, one of our guys is up, whatever happens, the guy who's on base can move the maximum number of bases because they're a plus base runner, you know, and it, it it goes into like the littlest types of advantages with the way I, I, I study ball. But what I understand is, in a lot of the finer ways with how to balance out a lineup to hit, to hit against elite pitching, it may not be enough to get you to win, you know, 95 games and win your division, but with the way that the Indians are doing it, if they do find a way in wild card or what have you, uh, maybe, you know, teams ahead of them get hurt, whatever, you know, things happen. They can maximize their opportunities. So it is worth watching them. It's worth watching even the guys who are on the team develop. Um, I only have them right now as a third place team because the teams ahead of them are juggernauts. And like I said, it hurts me to put them here because they're so balanced. Like I'm pretty sure if you put the Indians in the American league East, they, I think they'd finish either be in second or third. It'd be tough, but like, you don't know. No, I'd say they'd be in second. I think they'd, they'd, I think they'd be in second. And that's just saying because the Rays did take a step back. But, like, yeah, given what the Rays have entering next year, you know, the other teams in that division, I think if they were even in the American League East, they would be in that kind of position. If they were in the American League West, given what happened with the Astros, they'd also be in contention for the division. If they were in the National League Central, I think they would also be in contention for the division. Um, just not the AL East, the NL West, 
and the NL East and their division, the, the, the AL Central. Um, so this is in no way hating on their team. Just watch, watch the middle of the lineup specifically with Josh Naylor from the left side, Franmil Reyes, who can hit bombs, like he can hit balls 500 feet, um, like ridiculous power. Um, but the other thing I want to also note about Franmil Reyes is uh, like I've got to watch this guy like in the Arizona Fall League, and I've been keeping track of this guy. He has periods of time where he goes off for like a month, two months on end and does just absolutely insane things. He hasn't yet had a period like that at the big leagues, but it's coming with the caliber of hitter that he is. So you have Naylor from the left side, you have him from the right side. And then if you're looking at from both sides, you have Jose Ramirez, who you know, one of the best switch hitters in the game, one of the best players in the game, 35 home run guy, uh, one of the best base runners in the game, despite having power and being this good of a hitter. Um, I can't speak high enough on Jose Ramirez. He had one down year and he was like, you know what? I don't like that. I had this down year. So he built a baseball field in the back of his house. So he could just play every single day, like a whole field, a huge field. Like this guy's about it. He's a gamer. Um, and if you have that, you have one, one lefty, one righty and one switch hitter. You should be able to hit for power consistently against most pitchers. But of course you're reliant on those three hitters, but again, three, four, five, that's the middle of the order. Um, they have, you know, Ahmed Rosario who mainly toasts lefties. He has trouble versus righties, but he's an elite base runner and he's an elite defender and he's close enough to league average as a hitter where if you add defense and the base running to it and how he's specifically being used like to be a force against lefties, as well as a guy who can progress against righties enough to establish his own career, looking at a very well-rounded guy. And as long as you have a lefty to kind of counterbalance what's going on with him as a righty, uh, that can work. And I, I also want to mention, again, he's an elite defender. And if you're looking at what the Indians have at catcher, they have Roberto Perez, who's an elite defender. And then behind him, they also have Austin Hedges that they just got from the Padres. And he might even be a better defender than Roberto Perez. Like those two guys, not talking about how they hit, <laughs> clearly. I mean, anyone who knows both of those players knows what I'm talking about there. But defensively, with the gloves, you don't really get better than either of them. So, and with as important a position defensively as catcher is, that speaks. Um, the next thing I want to note, though, is he's all, him and Rosario, they're both righties. So you need some sort of lefty counterbalance there. And the other thing I also want to mention is Roberto Perez, the main catcher for um, the, the Indians. Uh, I want to mention, like, when I say righty, both Hedges and Perez are righty. So it's not like you're platooning them. Uh, but Roberto Perez is the main one. At minimum, Perez walks. At minimum, in big situations, Perez comes through. So that's something to note, even though overall he can't really hit. He hits in big situations, and he can walk in iffy situations. Outside of that, he's a strikeout or a ground out, okay? Um, but if the game's on the line, he's actually a pretty decent guy to have up. He'll hit singles or homers, depending on what he gets. If it's a pitcher's pitch, he'll hit a single. If it's a mistake pitch, he'll hit a homer in those situations. It's kind of cool. Um, especially because, like, you know, that's all he needs to do with the kind of defense he, he gives you. Um, so that, that brings me to, like, the next portion of the roster, which is the outfield situation. Now, the outfield situation of the Indians is, as, like, anyone who's an Indians fan will tell you, on the year-to-year -year basis, the outfield fluctuates so much that, like, I mean, they, they, I don't know why they even released Tyler Naquin from the outfield. Like I, I, I was a big Naquin fan and I thought he was developing, but you know, the Indians think about outfield in a very interesting way. Well, who did they add this off season with approval from their owner, but Eddie Rosario left-handed power hitter from the Minnesota twins. Uh, now they know him very well, that same division. So they targeted him knowing that he hits against really good pitchers. 
with how aggressive he is. He doesn't really strike out. He will hit it into the teeth of the shift as a lefty, but if it's in the air, it's basically gone. He hits for a high level of home runs, like a high home run rate for as low as, as his strikeout rate is. And as a lefty, he counterbalances a little of what Rosario is giving them and what Perez is giving them at, at, at the catcher. Um, moving across the roster, either Jake Bowers or Daniel Johnson will be successful to some measure against righties this year. It's going to be one or the other. I'm not sure which one, but both of them are lefties. And that can counterbalance the other of those two. Now, Bowers, if he is effective as a left-handed hitter, you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be something like 20% above league average, uh, 20 home run hitter. And Johnson, if you're looking at a guy, like if he's the one that performs, he might be more of like a 260 hitter with like 10 home runs. That being said, and, and you know, his, in terms of percent above league average, he'd probably be closer to like 5% above league average. That being said, Daniel Johnson has an absolute hose for an arm. He, it's a cannon laser show. Um, and, it, you know, in the outfield with center field defense, if you can, even if you put him in a corner, because I know some people say he doesn't have center field defense. If you have an arm like that, you can just play back. And if you have good enough corners, you can make it work. But even if you put him in a corner, that's, that's a weapon for you defensively, offensively, if you platoon it right. Um, so there you go, another lefty hitter that can balance things out. They have Harold Ramirez, who has hit high levels uh, in the Marlins system. They brought him in, but that's another righty. Oscar Mercado hit at the high levels of the minors as well, but it also might be a juiced ball effect with him. He's a righty, good defender, center field type. Uh, Jordan Luplo, absolutely torched lefties at every level of the minor leagues. Actually might be able to hit righties too, but you need to give him playing time, which they're, they're going to be able to, given how in rotation the outfield is. Um, there's a lot of guys who have potential on here. Now, some Indian fans might be wondering why I didn't bring up Bradley Zimmer. I need to see that Bradley Zimmer can lower the strikeout rate before I ever consider him again as an everyday player. It's not like he has the power of Joey Gallo. He has the exit velocity, but it's not in results. And when you're striking out that much, it's not in your control to change the variables to up your results because you already have such contact issues that there's not much you can do. It'd be like Joey Gallo becoming more aggressive. All right, well, now he's going to strike out half the time. That doesn't really work. So I want to see Bradley Zimmer do something at the higher levels of the minors or even in like some sort of platoon role before I really start writing him in. But I will admit the level of athleticism and physical strength is intimidating. Um, and those guys can pan out, especially as former college players. Um, they, they can pan out if they're given enough time. I just, I don't want to take a risk with somebody who has this many red flags Defense and base running is not the red flags. The tools are not the red flags. The strikeout rate is terrifying when you're matching it up with the level of production and how he's getting to the production. It's not like he's even an aggressive hitter. He's, he's a patient profile that strikes out that much to try and get to power that he's not getting to. It's just too scary for me. Um, but yeah, you know, like Nolan Jones, he could come along. That's another lefty power bat that could balance out the righties. I'm just not a fan of true. Uh, three true outcome hitters walk strikeout dinger. And that's basically all they do. Um, and, you know, for similar reasons, I'm not that big on Bobby Bradley. Obviously Nolan Jones is better than Bobby Bradley, but they're both three true outcomes, you know, basically first baseman. Um, not that big on that, but again, you know, maybe the league doesn't know these guys and as patient bats who have as much power as they do, who also have the handedness advantage of both being lefty, Maybe when you need them at certain points of the year, you can call them up and put them in against pitchers that don't know them. Get, get like a home run streak. And then once they start cooling off, you swap them back in for somebody who's not as powerful, but more consistent. Um, but this is kind of what the Indians have going for them. You got Yu Chang, who can play multiple infield positions. They got Cesar Hernandez at second base, who's a switch hitter. And then the other thing that you need to think about with how to counterbalance all the righties that they do have on their roster is Cesar Hernandez and Ramirez as switch hitters because the league is primary right-handed pitchers. 
they're lefties. So those guys counteract the right-handedness of the lineup as well, making it completely balanced. So I love the way this roster is put together. When they need to bring in guys to add extra power to their lineup, they can bring guys up, but everybody else is meant to balance things out so that they're equally effective versus righties and lefties and so that they have fantastic defense and base running. Um, I love the way that they put together their roster. I, just as somebody who understands roster construction the way that I do, it, it, it's the maximization, like the maxim, maximization, there we go, uh, of what you can do for that level of payroll. Like it's the most, it's the most that they can do for that level of superstardom. They basically have one guy and a couple of other guys that are that like are kind of interesting. Like Naylor is interesting. He's never going to be a superstar. Framil could be a superstar, but he needs to hit his optimal outcome because he's basically a DH. So they're really getting the max out of their position player squad while keeping a payroll under control, while building their farm system, building their pitching staff. I mean, they got Cal Quantrill, who's a starting pitcher, okay, from the Padres. The Padres were going to be using him in the bullpen. So now they can develop him the way they develop starters in their rotation. Like they're just, they're a brilliant organization, just hands down one of the smartest teams out there. It's just a shame that they're operating with such a low payroll because that's, that, that's the only thing that's really keeping them from consistently, I think being in first place, like they blow me away with the way they do team construction. They just, they, they, they blow me away with that stuff. And, and then another guy that they got, they got Gabriel Arias this offseason. Like, they literally traded for him from the Padres. And, like, like the background on this guy is that the Padres took all of their analytics and they basically, like, they, they looked at all of this guy's strengths and all of this guy's weaknesses. And over the, like, 2018 to 20 – no, 2019 to 2020, sorry – 2019 to 2020 off season, they basically presented like a multitude of tests for this guy, Gabriel Arias to pass defensively on the bases for power hitting for contact hitting, for, you know, they, 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 they presented him with it because they thought that highly of him as a prospect and looking at his numbers up to that point, he was getting better by leaps and bounds on a year to year basis. And he's been compared to in terms of how quickly he's getting better to Tim Anderson which that's like one of the fastest improving guys in recent years. So if the front office is one of the most analytically sound teams, believes in you that much, then invests that much in you, and then you're able to trade for this guy, you know, like there's your future shortstop. You lost Lindor, but now you got a guy who like in a year or a year and a half, right there. It, it, it's, it's like, I'm just, I'm sorry. The Indians... They are a absolutely fantastic organization. Like, and that's the other thing. Uh, they got Josh Naylor from the Padres last year. That uh, We talked about him in the middle of their lineup. He's the lefty to Fran Mills' righty and, and Jose Ramirez' switch hitter. They, another reason that they got him is not just because he helps this team now and because he's under contract for a lot of years, but because his younger brother is within the Indians organization and they train together in the off seasons and very clearly Josh Naylor, he's gone from being like a kind of Husky guy, a little overweight. Now he's getting thin enough to actually be able to play corner outfield at an average ish kind of level. I think that kind of work ethic and drive would really rub, you know, his younger brother, Bo Naylor the right way. And here's the deal. Bo Naylor's a catcher. So now all of a sudden you're developing an everyday power hitting catcher you have your shortstop replacement yeah like this is an organization that knows how to take your team from being an elite contender go through a, a growth period where you're still contending in in a way where if you get playoff spots you're going to take off and then get right back to where you were if not better that's all i gotta say great club great club just you know with the teams ahead of them being big league ready juggernauts full of superstars during a regular season. I just can't put them any higher. It's a shame. It's actually a shame. So this next one that we're going to do this next team that we're going to do moving over to the national league central 
my old was favorite a, team. Well, maybe because initially I, I was thinking about this is going to be the third place team. I don't think so anymore. I think, oh. yeah, I think there's a, believe it or not, there's a high chance that that team might finish first, but we'll get into that in a few weeks. So yeah, and we'll definitely, that now. yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have that conversation. And it, it, it's a shame that I'm saying this, but I think that the third place team in the National League Central is going to be the Cincinnati Reds. And it, it took me a while to kind of understand why. Because those three teams, the top three teams in that division are very close. Mm. But in a year where you're losing Trevor Bauer, the Reds lost Trevor Bauer, you know, um, and like the closest thing that you're getting back in terms of like to help out the rotation is, you know, mid to late in the year, low to low might be ready. Mid to late in the year, Hunter Green might be ready. Um, and you're hoping that they are because it's basically Luis Castillo, who's a great pitcher in terms of the underlying analytics, hasn't yet completely converted into ERA. Sonny Gray, who, same kind of deal, had like a 3.6 ERA last year, but the underlying analytics show that he's much better than that. I'd want to say that those guys are going to have years like the underlying analytics. But the Cincinnati Reds have one of the worst defensive teams in Major League Baseball. And that will take pitchers who are number two starters and make them number three starters and pitchers who are number one starters and make them number two starters. Um, and if you're already losing Bauer and you haven't really added anything, especially onto this club, I think that you're at a distinct disadvantage when like over a regular season, you have the teams that have gained as much as they have gained competing with you like teams competing with the reds added nolan arenado okay teams competing with the reds are having like half their lineup recover from like down seasons with chips on their shoulder like the reds are expected to put up the same exact level of production or worse and they do not have a good defense I'll say this. They have this guy at catcher going to be coming in. His name's Tyler Stevenson, super polished. He's going to go off next year. So if you're a Reds fan, be very excited about watching him. And he may or may not be your catcher of the future. It all depends on if he's able to sustain this level of performance or if he's able to adapt to the league after the league adapts to him. Because I don't expect him to be the hitter that he'll be this year next year during his sophomore slump if he can recover from it and bring back some of that extra power on base ability then cool you've got your catcher for the next 10 years probably actually um so watch him he's going to be super fun to watch and crush baseballs um he's operating from a standpoint of being really good at in-zone contact one of the better in-zone contact rates in the minors and he does also have a patient profile so if he's making contact in zone that easily and he's coming up to the big leagues and that's going to play as well there then he might want to be aggressive with what he can do with that contact perhaps going from the patient profile that made so much contact at the minor league level to now that the pressure's on and he has to perform sacrificing some of that patience because he's so comfortable making contact for harder contact um I think that's probably what's going to happen the first year, especially with the league not knowing him. Going to hit for a lot of power. Um, at first base, you have still one of the best first base defenders, uh, still one of the most patient bats, highest walk rates in the big leagues, but no longer the consistent threat that he used to be. You have Joey Votto. He's a brilliant hitter. He has found ways to remain an above-average offensive player despite the decline. Um, I hope that what I saw out of him last year continues because that means that, okay, maybe I'm not Joey Votto all the time, but I'm hot and cold, meaning I take a moment to heat up and then I'm Joey Votto for the rest of the year and playoffs. And 
that's good. That's all I need. Lefty, you know, he's a lefty power hitter, which always helps. Uh, lefty at first base with that kind of defense always helps. Um, he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Absolute legend, you know, hitting genius, Joey Votto. Um, that being said, Joey Votto is basically a guy who's going to contribute via either extra bases or a walk, and he has trouble versus lefties. Um, when he's hot, it's going to be great, but when he's not, you're going to need the rest of the lineup to really be there. Thankfully, they do have a lot of hitters. Um, but Votto kind of represents one of their only steady above average defenders at first base. Like even Stevenson, the new catcher, is average at defense at best, maybe a little below average, maybe a touch above in the first year with people not knowing him, but basically average if I'm going to approximate it. So we move over to second base. You have a terrible defender, not exactly a good base runner either. You have Mike Moustakis, which, of course, in an era with the shift, of course, you can put Moustakis, a third baseman at second, but it's not really like other teams have second baseman playing second. And Moustakis is a Husky guy. He kind of has a lot of uh, Eddie Rosario kind of profile going on. Um, he walks at like an 8% rate, roughly. He strikes out at like a below average rate. He pulls everything he hits. Uh, if it's in the air, it's gone as a lefty. Uh, if it's on the ground, he can kind of get eaten up by the shift. Um, and neither of them are really good defenders, except Moustakis is an infielder uh, and Rosario is an outfielder. And, of course, if you move Moustakis to third, then that changes things. And what you're looking at is then a decent fielder with that profile, but he's not the third baseman. Suarez is the third baseman. Um who I think really started to come back from his shoulder injury late in the season, like really in the last month of the year. Um, but even then to get to that level of power, he was hitting at an elevated strikeout rate. So he might not quite be who he was in the past. Um, but even if like, you know, he's, he's coming close to that level of ability, he's not going to top like what he did last year, really. Like not, not by much, if, if at all. Um, it, it doesn't really necessarily represent that much of a gain to the club. Him, like, don't get me wrong. He could be better than last year, but it would be moderately. It would be like by 8%, 9%, 7%. That's not enough to change everything with the club, but Hey, um, they're getting better production out of catcher and a little bit better production out of third. So I will note that. Um, but the shortstop, at least right now, what we're looking at is Jose Garcia, who should be in the minors. Like, Jose Garcia is one of my favorite prospects in baseball. I think he's one of the most underrated prospects out there. But if they're, like, putting him in the major leagues to start the year, you're at risk of completely stunting him. And he's got the kind of defense and offense and base running that, like, he'd be one of the best players at shortstop for, like, the next decade if you developed him properly and frankly, if you play him next year, he's going to be one of the worst offensive shortstops out there. And it might even get in his head. And because he's a bigger guy, he's about six, four, um, make him in his head defensively too. And you run the risk of really compromising someone's confidence. Um, and then, you know, players take years to pan out if ever, or they have to change approaches or they have to change organizations. Um, so I don't really like that at all. Um, and I also want to note that Suarez is a terrible defender at third as well. So you're getting terrible defense at third and terrible defense at second. Um, average defense at catcher, decent defense at first, and you don't know defense at short. It could be great, but it could also be he's in his head making errors all the time because he shouldn't be in the bigs. So let's move to the outfield. They have a former third baseman playing center field because he got injured a lot at third and they're hoping to keep him healthy in center. And supposedly he can run down a lot of balls, which is great, but like he has swing issues first off, which people don't bring up his health issues too. And then also he was rushed and thus performance issues. Um, 
So I don't really trust him at all in center. And behind him, they have Shogo Akiyama, who they tried bringing in from the Japanese leagues last year, and he didn't take at all. Some people don't. Um, defense is there, sure, but not that much better than any of the other good defenders in center field from around baseball. Most teams have good defenders in center. So it's all right. Um, and then you move to the outfield corners where they have Jesse Winker, who is a terrible defender. And they have Nick Castellanos, who's an even worse defender somehow. Um, so if you have bad defense in left field, in right field, at third base, at second base, and you don't know at shortstop, and your center fielder is an average good defensive center fielder, which most, most teams have, almost every team has, and your, your official good defender is either the catcher who's good because nobody knows him. It's probably average, like I noted. Or it's your first baseman, Joey Votto. That's a problem. Joey Votto's like 38 years old and he's your best defender. That's a problem, okay? So from where I sit, even if you want to look at the team and be like, wow, Winker is a massively good hitter, which he is. I I want to give Winker total credit there. He doesn't have to be a great defender, when he hits like he does, it's just you need defenders around him. <laughs> you know, you can't have two bad defenders in the corners. You know, like if you're going to go bat first, you go bat first in one corner. You don't, that, that's a terrible decision to do with your outfield. Um, and even Castellanos, Castellanos is a good hitter too. Mustakas is a good power hitter, but he has trouble with balls in play. Um, and he makes contact, but that's what I'm trying to say. What's the point of making contact if you're troubled with balls in play? Um, Suarez is coming back from a shoulder procedure, and for him to be able to get to the power that he gets to, he has to strike out and walk a certain amount. So really, he's kind of dependent on the pitcher making mistakes because home runs come from mistakes and walks come from mistakes. Uh, that's why, again, I like my aggressive type hitters that have a level of power to them as well and contact, um, especially if you can see that they hit breaking balls. Um, so like even the offense is going to be kind of dependent on mistake pitches to, 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 to be effective. Like Vado has a patient profile. Suarez has a patient profile. Uh, Moustakis, if he hits a ball into play, he's probably pulling it into the shift. If it's, you know, in the air, it's probably out, but that's on a mistake pitch. Uh, you have Garcia rookie, you know, you know, like he shouldn't be up at the big leagues. He's going to be a terrible hitter. No doubt. You have the pitcher hitting now because there's no DH back in the National League. You don't think you're going to get any offense out of your center fielder. So it's basically rookie offense because the league doesn't know your catcher. Hot and cold from your first baseman. Work to a mistake you can crush from your third baseman. Hopefully you get something that you can crush in the air. Cross your fingers if you're your second baseman. Or the corner bats who are actual hitters. So it's not like they have a terrible lineup. That's seven guys right but they're all faulty and it's a terrible defense and you're looking at a situation where at minimum a third like like guaranteed a third of your lineup is not going to hit at all pitcher's not going to hit shortstop's not going to hit and one of the others is going to have significant issues hitting probably Akiyama in center field after Senzel gets hurt and I'm Pretty sure Senzel's going to get hurt. I hope you don't, buddy. If you're listening to this, Nick Senzel, please find a way to stay healthy. You're awesome when you play. Just play. I'm sure you want to stay healthy. too. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, if you have that kind of defense, your pitchers are going to not pitch at, at that high of a level. And I, I just, I can't think that you're going to win that many crucial games when your hitters depend that much on mistakes and when your defense gives the advantage to anything put into play and when, you know, your bullpen, it's not about weak contact with the Reds bullpen. The Reds bullpen is we're going to strike you out, maybe walk you. And if you hit it, you're, you're hitting it pretty hard. So it's a bunch of guys who throw hard, a bunch of guys who could be really good relievers but because of the point of development that they're at, you know, they're going to be basically looking for the strikeout. And if you can, you know, 
You can hit pitchers' pitches. Their bullpen on balls in play can be pretty lit up, if that makes sense. I love that they got Doolittle, but they also um, they lost someone in the pro- – like, it's funny. The way the Reds' bullpen went, they, they, they added Doolittle, and I think they lost – was it Glacius? Yeah, it's like, okay, you, you lost Iglesias only to add Doolittle. Doolittle's not as good as Iglesias. Doolittle's good, you know, so I can't really hate on them too much for adding him, but you lost Iglesias. So who's your closer? Is it Amir Garrett? Is it Doolittle? If it's, you know, Amir Garrett, cool. I like that a lot better. He gets an empty inning. That's what he needs to keep growing as a strikeout guy. Um, but if it's Doolittle, then I really worry about their middle innings. And even if like Doolittle does get the middle innings, I also am a little bit worried because Doolittle did not have a good 2019 or really any of that he played in 2020, but mainly 2019, which is the last time he consistently played. Uh, then again, Doolittle is a lefty and 2019 was the juice ball league and league of power hitting righties. Makes sense of why he had a down year. So maybe Doolittle bounces back, but even if he does, at best, Doolittle is what Iglesias was for them and now Iglesias is the closer of the Los Angeles Angels so they lost Bauer and this is their team they have a powerful team they have a team of guys who have tools they have a bunch of guys who are former top prospects it's just a it's it's a horrible combination of players and um the Reds owner reportedly has like less money. The Reds as an organization probably have less money than a lot of contending teams. Like if we're looking at the, the numbers, that's the raw numbers of it. If, if that's the reason why you've decided, you know, that you're not going to find other ways of making your team better than it was last year, you know, you're not going to be like, okay, well, we missed out on Bauer and we're losing Bauer, but maybe what we can do is diversify by taking the money that we paid Bauer and getting it to a bunch of different guys who can help us out in different ways, which teams do, but they chose not to. Other teams in their division have guys bouncing back across their roster. Other teams in their division have made their pitching staffs deeper. Other teams in their division have <clears throat> added Nolan Arenado. So it, it does pain me to put a team that has so many hard throwers third place. It pains me to put a team that has so much power third place, but you can't throw defense to the wind. You can't go with this kind of combination of talent. You can't be rushing players up like this. You can't be like not having a balance team. You can't be not accounting for departures of some of the best players in the big leagues. And then thinking that somehow you're going to, you know, be one of the contenders you know, it could have been a contender. No, you couldn't have with that strategy. Goodness. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, it, I, it, it does pain me a bit. It pains me a bit because they do have some hitters, um, especially Castellanos and Winker. And I don't think that this is the right way to send off Joey Votto, personally. It's the end of his career, Hall of Famer, one of the best hitters out there. It's a shame he's never been able to win a World Series, but he stayed with the Reds his whole career. So. When a team doesn't have that kind of money, I just, if I was the front office, I'd just do a fire sale. You have enough really good players where if you dealt them off to different organizations, you could build up like the best farm system in baseball. You have so much talent to do that with. And that's what I would do. If you're working from the kind of payroll constraints that they, they clearly are, I don't understand why they're, you know, across the roster paying all these players the degree they are, you know, um, trade them now while you can. And, uh, that's it for them. That's all I got to say with that team. You know, it's, uh, it's a shame that they went about things this way. I mean, it seemed like they were trying to go about it last year when they went out and they added gray and they added Bauer and they added, you know, Castellanos and, they, and then it was just like sitting on their hands. I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand that type of, you know, we're going to contend when it's difficult. And then when it's not difficult, like that national league central is the weakest division in major league baseball. Like 
even if like like threads were like okay you know what we're gonna do you know we're going to trade winker even though winker is probably our best hitter right we're gonna trade him we're gonna sign you know a couple of outfielders just in case senzel or akiyama don't don't work out we'll you know we'll get like melky cabrera still a free agent yasiel puig still a free agent he was there before you've had him before you know um you can get those guys for next to nothing winker however you can you can you can rebuild your pitching staff or your bullpen or your infield or like you know like and here's the other thing why are they not dealing for somebody like brandon crawford and letting garcia develop in the minor leagues you let garcia develop you're going to have a guy up the middle with stevenson for the next decade it's just it's such a mismanagement of resources and like it's frustrating because it like that team is juicy, full of talent that could be traded for some value. Like it's, it's juiced of talent that can be traded and completely useless on its own. Like it, it's like you, you know, like it's like an unbought gallon of gasoline, you know, like it's there to be used, but you can't, you like there's, if you don't have the machine, you can't do anything. You don't have the red, the big red machine. The big red machine, maybe last year there was the big red machine. Not this year. You know, you can't, to get the machine to run, you have to have the gasoline and the machine. They have the gasoline. They have no big red machine. I don't know if you're aware of this, but one of the best teams in baseball was the Cincinnati Reds from back in the day, the big red machine, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's kind of cool that I was able to loop back around the whole big red machine into this, but they legitimately were that last year with Bauer in the fold. So I don't know. I just think, you know, just assess the territory and make smarter moves, balance out your club. I mean, Cleveland's doing it. Like if Cleveland was in your division, with what they're doing, they'd embarrass you guys. Like, that's more of like a hat tip to Cleveland, but like, still though, like, get some help, Michael Jordan voice. You know, like, <laughs> you know, the meme, the Michael Jordan meme? Yeah. Get some help. <laughs> that's what I got to say about the Reds. Get some help. Maybe you'll get back to being the big red machine. Just not this year. Surprising episode. I was expecting to hear another team and uh, very, very surprised. Also another surprise that James has a really great wise guy accent. <laughs> well, oh man. I guess it's it for this one. Yeah. And Don't, we will see you on the next one, which and... is a live stream yeah. on Monday. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be around six, 7 PM eastern time streaming on youtube get ready it's the first live stream james is super excited Can't i tell right now but he's super stoked i i am dialed in i got so much stuff that i want to talk to like everybody about like you know i was i was talking to a good friend of mine like earlier today about the framber valdez like news this guy's been an angels fan his entire life you know like the angels, like last time that they were even like really decent, like they had like Eric Ibar and, and stuff like that. And like, they haven't won the division in like years mm-hmm. and trout deserves like a, a deep playoff run at minimum. He's the best player I've ever seen. You know, like you put his numbers up to like the greats that he, he stacks up against everyone. Um, you, know, you go to ball games and you'll be sitting around. Like I went to, I went to a spring training game the other day. Mariners hit three home runs in a row. It was dope, but um, yeah, three in a row. Um, but we were, we were, we were sitting around and we just hear down the way, Trouter, 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 Trouter. Anytime you hear that at a ball game, that means someone brought up the idea of somebody else in baseball being a better player than Mike Trout, because it's an absurd idea. Mm. Mike Trout is the best player of our lives. Like, like my life. Like I'm, I'm going to be 30 in 2022. Okay. Like I've never seen anything like this at all, except for like fully steroided Barry bonds. So 
but yeah, we will be talking about a lot everything. on the next week. Everything. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I'm, I could see you saw me there. I was about to run into it. You yeah. know, I was about to get into it. So yeah, no, we'll be talking there. <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking there. We'll see you all Monday. See you Monday.